0: Welcome to the Guardians of the Game podcast presented by the National Association of Basketball Coaches where we go one-on-one with the top minds in college basketball to learn what makes a coach a coach. Most times young guys when a coach is coaching they say they're tough and they're hard because they give you real information. They tell you the truth. The NABC Guardians of the Game is proudly supported by Wilson, the official basketball of the NCAA. Now here's your host
1: Dave Odom. Welcome back to the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast. Today's guest is the head coach of the Missouri Tigers, Conzo Martin. Welcome to the podcast, uh, uh, Coach Martin. We appreciate you being here. It's a special day for us to welcome you here and give you a chance to talk about your program and about college basketball and about, uh, you know, the things that you think are important uh, in college basketball. Let's start off by letting me profile a little bit about your background and where you've been, and then we'll talk about maybe each stop. Of course, um, you played your college basketball at Purdue under the great coach Gene Cady, and then you played four years of pro ball, uh, some of it over here, some of it over in Italy. Um, you were a high school assistant for a year, and you got a chance to go with Coach Cady. Uh, he took you over to uh, Purdue, which had to be a a great opportunity for you and you were there for eight years and um, you learned a lot under coach Katie I am sure of that and then you got a head coaching opportunity at Missouri State um, you went from there to Tennessee to Cal uh, uh, out on the west coast and now you're kind of back home in the midwest Missouri tell tell us a little bit tell the listeners a little bit about you know, you've had some different opportunities there and how each one was kind of special to you.
0: Well, obviously, I mean, a great background coach and somewhat of my history. But growing up in East St. Louis, uh, I played for the legendary, you know, Benny Lewis, Benny Boss Lewis in high school, East St. Louis Lincoln. We had a tremendous amount of success in high school. Then I went from there to Purdue, uh, which was a, a wonderful experience and, and playing for another great coach and a, and a great man. And Gene Katie, who, who taught me a lot of lessons, and we still talk a lot probably once a week, just on different things, not necessarily basketball, just life. He's seeing how I'm doing. Uh, and it's just great to talk to him on, on that level because you know, the coach always seen me as a son, but now to be able to talk to him, and, and he still sees me that way. But So that's a great relationship. And then after Purdue, I was blessed to uh, to get drafted by the Atlanta Hawks, but you know, they ended up releasing me, so I didn't play a lot with them. I played in the CBA, had great experiences there, and then went from... CBA getting called up to the Milwaukee Bucks, and also the next year the Vancouver Grizzlies, or, or vice versa. And then I played um, professionally in Italy and had great experiences there. And I was diagnosed with cancer. That's what kind of pretty much ended my playing career. Uh, and then Coach Katie called me with a great opportunity to be on his staff at Purdue in 2008, if I'm not mistaken. Well, 2000, I think. I mean, I get all these times mixed up. And I had eight wonderful years with Coach Katie and Matt Payton was. One year to associate, he became the head coach, and, and to be under those two guys, I mean, it's obviously really been with family and learning from guys that you genuinely, genuinely have a great respect for and a passion and love for them, and uh, so I learned a lot of valuable lessons there, and then I, I was blessed with the opportunity to be the head coach at Missouri State. That was my first stop, uh, and there was uh, some valuable lessons and lessons I'll take with me uh, for the rest of my life when it comes to coaching and just in the world of basketball and sport because it was a lonely place my first year as a as a head coach at Missouri State. Cause I just felt like I had nowhere to turn on, on on tough days because it's oftentimes hard to talk to my my wife. I felt at the time uh, about struggles with the team and things I was going through, and it was probably difficult talking to my assistant coaches because they're looking to for, to me for direction. So a lonely place, but I, I I was through prayer and just just constant learning and talking and, and and developing. I was able to you know weather that storm. Then I went from Missouri State. To Tennessee, uh, which is another wonderful learning experience for I me. Mean, we did a lot of great things there. Uh, great platform, great fan base, a lot of energy, eighteen thousand plus. Uh. And then I went from Tennessee to Cal Berkeley, which is, uh, I think, I grew the most as as a coach, and I, and I think more coaching as far as what's the big picture in life. And I guess we always talk about it as coaches, what's important, uh, the student-athletes, the well-being of student-athletes. And I think I learned a valuable lesson of that being at Cal Berkeley because those young men that we had on the team took a tremendous amount of pride in the classroom. And not that the other guys didn't, but the university made it important. The athletic department made it important. So it wasn't just lip service, so to speak. And, again, not taking anything away from anybody else, but they made you feel it. They wanted to win games, they wanted to win in all sports, but they took pride in the academic piece and making sure the student athletes were excellent in the classroom and gave them everything they need to be successful. And it made me grow a lot as a coach because I've had a tremendous amount of success. We our staff with guys graduating. But it's it's not just graduating and getting a degree, but putting them in a position to have a successful career but also helping them because just because you have a degree, you still need a helping hand to to be able to open up doors and make phone calls for your student-athletes, but also helping them with interns. So a lot of different things that you can help them with. So I grew a lot at Cal Berkeley from that standpoint. And now I'm here at Mizzou, and I I pray this is my final stop, but it's always God's plan in the end.
1: Well, uh, by my counts, that's eight stops you've made, and I don't know how you did that. Uh, You know, one of my questions would be what's involved – uh, because it's got to be really complex. What's involved in starting anew? That is, you know, when you leave, let's say you leave a place like Cal and you go to a place like Mizzou, I mean, you're leaving a lot that you have put in place there. You want to see them continue to, uh, you know, to grow and to get better. Uh, and you're leaving behind people that have counted on you. You know, maybe you, it's your secretary, it's your. It's um, uh, maybe, maybe some assistant coaches. Uh, it might be uh, your academic person or your weight coach. And you're going to Missouri, and you've got to set up all of that again. You may have to release some people that are at Missouri to make room for your own people. Is that hard for you? Tell us a little bit about that process. Because, you know, when you're moving across the country, it's never, never, never easy. A lot is left on the wives and the family to overcome that.
0: Uh, great question, Coach. I just, you know, I, I've been blessed to have a cool group of guys with me at all times, and and when, when you make decisions, I always, I mean, I, I pray through them constantly. I, uh, and my wife and I would just continue to pray through it, and then you make a decision based on what's best for everybody involved. I've, I've never been a guy that made a decision based on a financial gain or, or made a decision based on what was best for me personally. It's always a family decision, and the hardest thing was making moves. Uh, and, and moving my family because that 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 part is so hard, and, and you try not to do that to your children. But but in the end, I always make decisions based on what's best for my family, and I, and I always explain it. And having a great wife who understands, and and oftentimes as as kids, I just say you know trust in me, and understand that dad's going to do what's best for the family. And and our kids have been tremendous in all of this, and I give a lot of credit to my wife and helping them give them balance and understanding that this is just what we have to do, but. But sometimes I heard a pastor, you know, Bishop T.D. Jakes, a guy that I, I consider a minister to me because I listen to him all the time. He says sometimes sometimes you have to kiss what you love and leave it behind. And and, and that's a hard thing to do wow. in order to continue to push forward. Because what happens is if you, you linger on it too long to take a physical toll on you, now you're not allowed or not able to do the job at hand that presents itself currently because it's hard to attack what's next. When you continue to hold on what you left behind, and, and and you become depleted by dealing with that constantly, so I so I try to get it out of my system as fast as I can, and I prayed it to God, and and He let it pass. So now I got to push forward and be as strong as I can be, because if I'm vulnerable, then everything else around me becomes vulnerable because they expect me to lead, and that's not an easy thing to do.
1: That is a great, great answer, and uh, you know I know that's that's going to mean a lot to particularly the young coaches that are listening. Listen, you're one of several gene katie assistants guys that uh, and you've already talked to about about him calling you every other week or something like that you know what uh, let's see you got uh, steve lavin you got kevin Stallings, you got bruce weber you got matt painter you got yourself i'm probably forgetting somebody i don't mean to why is having a guy like gene katie as your mentor so important
0: well, I think, I think one, he's a guy that has a tremendous amount of respect around the country when it comes to basketball and just a good man. And, and Coach has a, a good heart. He's a good person. Uh, he, he's obviously an, an, an exceptional coach in, in his teaching, but he has so much value on, on life skills uh, and just teaching life. Like he would say, you know, one of the things he would always say is like every, every day you go to class, you would put a hundred dollars in your bank account, your 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 mental bank account, so to speak. And he said, every day you miss class, you would take a thousand out. And, and 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 those numbers, for me growing up in East St. Louis, those aren't good numbers. So I need to go to class every day. So and I took a tremendous amount of pride in trying to go to class. And I wasn't a great student because it was a struggle for me in a lot of areas. But I got a degree from Purdue. and I take a tremendous amount of pride in saying that because it was hard. But but I think the thing that makes Coach good is he's a good person, and and he was, you know. You oftentimes, people say, was he tough? Was he hard? Well, you, you, most times young guys, when, when a coach is coaching, they say they're tough and they're hard because they give you real information. They tell you the truth. And and oftentimes when you're a good high school player, you don't get real information. I was blessed to get it from my high school coach, and they would be raw and uncut with it. But So when I transitioned to Purdue, it was just coaching. It wasn't personal. He wasn't hard on me. He wasn't mean. He wasn't tough. It was just Coach Katie because I got real information growing up. And I thought Coach, he was always candid. And and, and the one thing I thought Coach is really good at, and, and I realize it in today's age, where a lot of things that you can't say as a coach, where you had other programs, coaches would say certain derogatory terms to players. And they didn't mean any harm by it, but they would say certain things to get their players and their team motivated to play games. And Coach never used those words when I was a player. and And, and that was... Twenty, thirty years ago, and he never used those words, and 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 it just makes me appreciate him even more to this day because of the way he spoke to us as young men, and he, and he never tried to break our spirits. And he was a tough guy, but he was a really and I said and I said this in a great way, just in case you hear this. Coach was really a Teddy Brand. I said it in a positive way because <laughs> he had a big heart and he's a good guy.
1: <laughs> We're talking to Conzo Martin today, the head basketball coach at the University of Missouri, the Tigers. And in, uh, in the SEC, and they're making their own mark early on. Listen, taking over uh, the Missouri job, um, is no secret, they were struggling. Uh, even back, uh, you know, four or five years ago, uh, there was a lot of uh, problems with the Missouri program. You seem to have refocused not only the team, but the fans. There's a lot of positive uh, uh, atmosphere, positive vibes going around the community and the state of uh, Missouri, you know, as you became, when you were named, what was the first thing you did? I mean, you looked at the program and you said, this is what it needs. And then, then what, how did you go about maybe attacking that type thing to get the program turned as quickly as you can?
0: Well, the, the biggest thing, I guess the plus about it, I've been through it before. so So it wasn't as if I was, it was obviously a different place, but it wasn't if, if I hadn't been through this before, as far as building a program and taking over a program. The one thing I knew about Missouri I had great tradition, great history. I mean, Norm Stewart, eight hundred plus wins. I mean, had a great track record. I, I'm not sure. I don't know why he's not in the Hall of Fame, but that's probably another podcast. But but I, I think for me is, and I, I carry this with me all the time. I think the most important thing because I had I had to get three new assistant coaches as well, so it was back to the basics for me. And I talk about. The discipline And the biggest thing with the discipline is recognizing what has to be done, doing it as well as you can do it, and doing it that way all the time. And that's really easier said than done. But if you have discipline, like I tell our players all the time, we can do a lot of things. We can say do your job and all those things, but if you have a level of discipline and doing it the right way all the time, the word discipline is also another form of love. So that means I have passion for you being successful. But I think with young guys, when they hear discipline, it's like you're you attacking them, like like sit down and shut up. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is have discipline so we all can do our job. And that's everybody. That's me, the, the training staff, the doctors, me as a head coach. we got to have that in order for us to move forward. And that's how we build a relationship through that. And then we got to have compassion for each other and understanding what it makes for each individual to be successful and maximize everything in us. And it's never personal. That's why I always say to our players, when it becomes personal, let me help you find a new school because that means it's not working out. And that's not personal. I don't say that in a negative way. but Because ultimately, as a man, I want to see you successful as a young man. Well, This, this situation probably won't work out for you. So let's, ha- let's help find you one that works better for you so you can be successful as a young man and grow into a man. And it's never personal when we're trying to reach our goals.
1: America has yet to see Michael Porter play. Probably not going to have him at his very best that quickly. But what has what is the average Mizzou fan and college basketball fan missed in not being able to see him play this year? And how has it affected your team? Have you been able to – I mean, you, you, you don't want to go into every meeting and say, well, do this and Michael will be back to help us later. I mean, you you got to concentrate on coaching the ones that are there. Is that not right?
0: Exactly. So what we've done, Coach, as a staff uh, – once Mike went down, because it happened, it wasn't as if we saw some lingering, lingering, okay, he might not be with us. It went down, he just wasn't feeling right. And that was November the 9th, because I think we played on the 10th. And uh, so he hadn't been back with us since, outside of, you know, rehabbing. You know, the past couple of weeks, he's been getting up shots, but no, no practice situations. But what we talked about and what we did as a staff, and it would just continue to push forward. So it wasn't a case of, Oh, man, Mike's not here, so we got to restructure this. And I've always been a guy that runs an offense for five guys. Now, we have packages to get your best player shots in positions, but, you know, we run it for five guys. You read the defense, you make plays, you take care of the ball, you share the ball. So that wasn't a big issue. The the thing is with with Michael Porter Jr., one of the few guys that I've been around a long time that has the, the ability to make a play, can get the ball anywhere on the floor, can make a play, can get his shot off whether he's in the post off the drill with a three-point line to pull up. Uh, and he can shoot the ball. He's, he's, he's a guy that can make, you know, 10, 11 three-point shots in a row just in a spot, I mean, just and in, it's in, in probably not even hit the rim. So, And a guy who has a competitive spirit to him. You know, a lot of young guys are afraid to get dunked on. They don't want to get up close. A guy get crossed up. I mean, he, he has a competitive spirit to him, and he wants to be a good player. So I think that's the part that you miss, a guy that can make a play at any time in a game, and, and he demands – A double team when he gets the special round the rim, but on on the perimeter, he can make shots. He can make, because he's he's a legitimate 6'10". So you got a smaller guy on him, he's going over the top. You got a bigger guy, he's going around him. And he's always in attack mode. So I think that's what separates him from a lot of guys at his age.
1: The NABC is proud to partner with Wilson Sporting Goods. For athletes to perform at their best, they require the best. And for over 100 years, that's what Wilson has delivered. Wilson is not only the best-selling basketball on the market, it is also the official basketball of the NCAA tournament. For more information, visit wilson.com. Conzo, you mentioned earlier in the podcast that um, while you were in Italy playing pro ball, uh, you, you, you had cancer. You found cancer in your body but you, and we can all celebrate that you are a cancer survivor today. How did that moment in your life, both of them, you found out about it, and then you found out that you have survived it, you whipped it. How has that changed your life?
0: Well, I just, I think the biggest kid I, I say it all the time, I don't think I was a bad person before that, uh, but, I, but I think what, what it did for me, it, it put it all this in perspective. Meaning, the, the sport of basketball, I enjoy it. this. This game has, has has brought me so much. My family has took me all across the world um, to be able, to, obviously, to, to 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 get a financial gain from something that you enjoy doing. You have a passion, joint doing, helping young men, even even in all of that. But I just think, it made me appreciate life more. Not that I didn't before, but just the value of because when you really land in the in the bed in the hospital. And the doctor says, you know, and I'll never forget these words. I don't know if you're going to die, but this is life-threatening. And my son was four months old at the time. And, and just really, I I was at a point, I just said, God, allow me to see Joshua turn 18. Because, again, when somebody said this is life-threatening, you have no control over the situation. You have to trust in that doctor to get the right medicines to make this work uh, and, and the balance when, when he's treating you. Uh, in that oncology office uh the blood work uh and it's just so much stuff you're losing weight they pumping steroids and trying to keep me stronger I, I can't eat food i'm sleeping you know 19 20 hours a day and tubes all throughout my body I, I mean i went from 215 pounds to 185 to 175 and it's just you know you you start to understand what's really important you know and, I, and when I coach the game, I want to win every game, and, and I put so much into it, and, and, and I sacrifice a lot. I mean, I, I, I've probably done a below-average job of spending more time with my family because I'm consumed during the season of trying to be successful. Uh, and then you start to realize what's really important. Uh, and then your family, my, my daughter's getting old. She's 10 years old. My son, Joshua, when I, when I prayed about him, he was four months at the time. Now he's you know, he's 20 years old. He'll be 21 in August. And those things... Uh, have more value to me than anything. So I just try to appreciate life a little bit better. I try to smile, even though it doesn't look like it during the game, but I try to smile more. And I'm, and I'm, I'm really a happy person because of all the things that life has given me and God has presented to me. So I, so I don't take those things for
1: granted. You've been in the Power F- what's called the Power Five conferences, almost every one of them. You've been in the SEC twice, Tennessee, now Missouri. You've been in the Big Ten. Purdue, and you've been in the Pac-12. Differences in those leagues? Uh, I'm not asking you which one's better because wherever you are at the time, I'm sure that's the one that's the best. But are are the style of play, um, what are the differences in those conferences right now, and um, how have you adjusted to them as you move from one to the other?
0: Well, before I answer the power File, five, I think – when I was at uh, Missouri State, I thought Missouri Valley basketball was the best around it. Their fan base, their, their, their conference tournament, just great energy, great passion. All those things were great about that. So that was great. But when you're talking to Power 5, uh, when I was at you know Tennessee, in comparison to being at Missouri now, I think the SEC is a little bit better as a league across the board. I think the numbers, the RPIs, everything can say that. Uh, so I think the SEC is at a high level right now and arguably the best conference in the country. And when I, being in the Pac-12... It was great basketball, up and down style game, uh, free flowing. You know how how the games are officiated. You know touch calls. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you can be as aggressive defensively as you'd like to be, even though the calls across the board are supposed to be the same. I don't know if you can be as aggressive defensively as you like in the Pac-12. This kind of way the games officiated. But I think they're all great. They're all great coaches. Great leagues. Uh, the, the, The commissioners do a great job in representing the league. So. It's hard to say, you know I mean? I, I think the SEC, again, is a, a great league. And the numbers show right now the level they're at. And I think the SEC will continue that because you got great coaches, I mean, tremendous amount of talent. Uh, the officials, are, you got some of the best in the game. So I think it's a wonderful league to be a part of. And, and you got the SEC and the ESPN uh, working together. You can't lose.
1: Um, you, you know, you've been coaching college basketball a number of years now, and you, you've seen it from different vantage points. How has the game itself? I mean, between the lines, how has that changed over the course of the years, and why has it changed? Why, in other words, are we copying the NBA, or, or are we kind of uh, pioneering our own brand? How do you see that? What What are the changes in college basketball within the lines?
0: Well, I, I think one of the biggest things. I, I, I don't. I don't think there's nothing wrong with with copying the nba because for every young man that plays college basketball at whatever level they have aspirations of playing the nba so that's your blueprint and i don't think there's anything wrong with that but i think where we have to go and i i I wouldn't mind if they took the shot shot clock to 24 seconds in the college game because i think what happens is the, the the fans create every atmosphere whichever sport it is the fans create the atmosphere so what happens is if you have a great fan base, why do you have a great fan base? Because they like the product. So that means you've got quality student athletes in any sport. They're entertaining. You want to be entertaining because if I'm a fan, if it's not entertaining, then why am I going? I can watch that on TV. So that means we have to be entertainers because it's a sport. And people paying an X amount of dollars to be entertained. Whether you want to lose the game or not, I want to be entertained when I attend that game. Yeah, I'm an alum and I'm a fan and I support and all that. But I still want to be entertained because after a while, if it's not a good product and you're not winning games, I'm not going to that game. So I think what happens is you have to entertain first. But I think where we can grow, and meaning the the game itself, before you get to the college level, it's the elementary levels. I think if there's a way, if we can have region coaches, I mean, and you can just say, okay, there's 10 regions, divide the country up in 10 regions. And you have one coach, maybe two people in those regions. And then what they get together, and you can even do teleconferences, however you want to do it, you know, three or four times a year. And what you do is you say, okay, this is what we're working on this week. It's September 5th, and at the elementary level, junior high and high school level, September 5th, this is what we're working on across the country, jump, stop, bounce, passing, left-hand layups, right-hand layups, whatever it is you're talking about. But everybody across the country is working on that. So then all of a sudden, you look up 15, 20 years later, the skill development will be through the roof because it's been passed down, and it's all across the country, and all the youth get the skill level. And that's the game, and I think you'll you have a better game across the board at all levels. But it has to start at the, that elementary level where you're teaching the game. And I, I think if you get it regions across the country and everybody's teaching the same thing, you've got a chance to see a lot of successful student-athletes.
1: Legislatively, the NCAA, in, in concert with the NABC and the board of directors, uh, they're talking about some, some changes. Uh, one of them would be a proposal to change the transfer rule. Where does Conzo Martin stand on that or any other topic that you'd want to talk about?
0: Uh, good question, Carl. I think with the with the transfer rule, it's a couple of things. I think what happens is if, if a coach leaves, then I think the young man, especially a kid, if he's coming out of high school, because we can say it all day long, the kid chose the university. Most young men, they chose the, the coach. They want to play for that coach. So if the coach leaves, the kid should be allowed to leave, or a young man, he should be allowed to leave. That, that's fine. But but my thing is, this this is where I take it uh, when, when guys transfer, especially when freshmen, this is what, this, this is the only thing I say this with, with freshmen guys. When you come in and you transfer in December, what did you really learn to go through? Because let's take the basketball piece out of it. There's still life lessons, because even if you're struggling, you'll perceive struggles, because you're really not struggling. You're on scholarship. Uh, you're getting your schooling paid for. You're getting a great education, all those things. So even if you're struggling, there's still life lessons to learn because, okay, why am I struggling? Because I've always felt like and read that God loves to train you with trouble. So what happens is he's training you right now, so you're going through something. So you have to write down, what am I going through right now and what can I learn from this? Because this information can help a young guy 10 years down the road. It can help a new freshman four years down the road. Or you become a coach one day, you can help your student-athletes down the road. But I just think when when young guys leave in December – what did you really go through and what did you really learn out of the situation? So I, so I think that's the one thing I would say. The NCAA, you have to stay wherever you are as a freshman. Then after that, you can leave in, in April, May, whatever. But but go through that as a true freshman because there's still life lessons and we all have to go through that at some point.
1: Hmm. That's powerful. I mean, it really is. Each week on the podcast, we want to close out our discussion with the coach on why it's important for coaches to give back to the game, as the co- as the title indicates, we are guardians of the game. So, Conzo, given that, why is it important to you to give back to the game that's been so good to so many of us and to your college coaching colleagues?
0: Well, I, th- I think I think if you you should do that anyway, as far as giving back. And and I've always been a guy. I love to learn. I love to grow. I love to talk to a lot of people in all sports, just because I always want to get better at what I'm doing. And and really more than anything is how I'm treating people. And I, I think you you have to give back because it's it's just kind of what you owe. And and I learned that with with older guys in the streets growing up in East St. Louis. You have to give back. and You got to pay what you owe. And it's not necessarily giving back money all the time, but you got to give whatever you got, give it to somebody else. And I think that's very important um, because God gave you a lot of gifts. and He's blessed you with with a major platform. So you got to utilize that the right way. And oftentimes you, you don't feel like doing it. You, you don't feel like being a part of some your, your your schedules. You know, you got so much stuff going as a head coach and you're all over the place. And you don't really have a lot of downtime, but you have to make time because somebody made time for you. And I, and I really appreciate any time I can give some, I give anything I have. I don't have a lot to have because uh, I just think it's, it's what it is. And, I, and God has gave me a tremendous platform to be a giver. And I, and I do that with a tremendous amount of humility.
1: Final question. Why should young up-and-coming coaches get involved on the national level? I mean, it just seems like so so many of our coaches, they're always asking, how can I get to the next level? How can I get a college job? How can I do all of these things? And yet they don't get involved at the national level. Is that important, and if so, why?
0: Well, I think it's, it's very important to get involved because what happens is Again, you have a lot of people that have a lot of knowledge that's been there before you. I think that's the growth with anything. I always like to talk to people that have been through it before me because they've seen it, they understand it, this is what it takes, this is what I've been through. And I think that's why you have to get involved because it's it's a lot of information. You have access to a lot of wonderful people. There's There's a lot of great coaches, Coach. And I think what the misconception is, you only think Division One high level guys can coach. You got guys at Division Two, Three at all levels can coach this game, can teach this game. But you have got to get involved, and you have to be a part of it, especially if you want to get some out of this thing. You have to get involved.
1: Conzo, this has been a powerful podcast. I mean, it's been a lot of great information. You've laid it out. Um, you've told it the way you know it. It's your story. I think it's a story that are going to be a lot of people will be able to uh, relate to and they'll take it to school, and they'll, they'll, they'll benefit for it. So on behalf of the NABC and anybody that loves college basketball, we thank you for the last half an hour and, and the time that you've uh, given us. I know that um, in the future uh, we're going to be hearing a lot of good things about Missouri, uh, about the Tigers, about Columbia, uh, Missouri, and the state of Missouri. People are going to be really excited about that. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, to the NABC, Guardians of the Game podcast, and to Konzo Martin, thanks for taking some time to be with us. Good luck to you and your Tigers for the rest of the season. Win them all. Uh, for those that are listening, uh, to learn more about the NABC, visit theNABC.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at NABC1927. We'll be back next Monday with another guest and another episode of NABC Guardians of the Game. The NABC Guardians of the Game is proudly supported by Wilson, the official basketball of the NCAA.